Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message, or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community, and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you. Good morning, saints. Welcome in the name of the Lord. It's my privilege to greet you today. I hope you're hungry today. I hope you're thirsty today. I hope you brought your bib because I, I'm, I'm loaded for bear today. I want to greet you all in the name of Jesus Can we greet our streaming family? Come on, make some noise in the house. Hello, everybody. Come on in. I hope you're hungry and I hope you're thirsty because God has a delicious word of encouragement for you. We're going to talk about Caleb at Hebron today. We're going to talk about a threefold convergence, and we're talking about an interesting man named Caleb. The Bible says he was wholly given over to the Lord. And if you've been with us in our series on the threshold, we're looking at the fact that we are living in strategic times today. I'm going to have to lay some foundation for you. Are you ready? You want to put your thinking caps on? Today we're going to be studying some foundational truth that is absolutely mind-boggling. Sometimes we need to go back and ask, what is the Bible? We need to ask, what is the box top? Because if you just have an open box with 10,000 pieces of the puzzle, you don't know what to do. When you see the box top, everything comes together like that. I want to give you an overview of the box top of the Bible today. We're going to look at three forces in redemptive history. Three themes that equal an understanding of the Bible. The first theme was general revelation. We call that the Melchizedek factor. You're going to learn some 50-cent names today to win friends and impress your enemies. The Melchizedek factor is what we call general revelation. The second factor in the Bible is the Abraham factor, and that is called special revelation. And the third factor is the corruption of both. (laughs) It's called the Sodom factor. There were many code words for corruption in the Bible. Sodom is one of them. Gomorrah is one of them. And uh, uh, Babylon is one of them. And there are key words of corruption. But these are the three themes in the Bible. General revelation, the starry heavens above, the moral law within. Special revelation, that's divinely revealed Holy Scripture. And then the corruption of both. And we are going to find out today that the God who is at work in the world is touching and influencing everyone. Did you know what we're going to be introducing you to called the Melchizedek factor, called general revelation? This speaks of 100% of the folk that have lived on the planet. God at all times through the starry heavens above and the moral law within is proposing marriage to the entire world. Everyone, Psalm 19 says, the language of the very heavens speak to all people. Romans chapter 2 says, the moral law within, everyone in every culture everywhere knows what is right and what is wrong. Oh, there are subtleties here and there, but in no culture can you wantonly murder, wantonly rape, wantonly steal, and violate the lives of other people. 
In fact, if you look at, you may have heard that, but if you look at every culture, they look like the second table of the Ten Commandments. The starry heavens above and the moral law within equal general revelation. We're going to call this the Melchizedek factor, and it's a weird name, but we'll get there in a minute. Genesis chapter 14. I'm going to refer to Genesis chapter 14. The Abraham principle, the Abraham factor is special revelation. That's what we call the Bible. All right. Now, the difference between general revelation is that's given to all people at all times, 100% of the world, anyone that's ever lived has been impacted by that. Special revelation, however, comes at a point in time to a very specific redemptive group. And that may equal only maybe 5% of the entire population has ever come to a full understanding of special revelation. But hold on. General revelation, that's for 100% of the world. God is always speaking, starry heavens above, moral law within. Special revelation, he's given us the Bible. He's given us his word. He has spoken. He created a, a holy people that he called together in order to create a holy seed that would eventually produce a holy Messiah that would bring redemption and salvation to the entire world. But there's a third principle of the corruption of both. There is a darkness in the world. We're calling it the Sodom Principle. And we're calling it that because in Genesis 14, there's an interesting story in the Valley of Shava. Abraham, God's covenant man. Now, who is he? He's the guy from Ur of the Chaldees that God calls, and the God of heaven reveals himself to Abraham by the name Jehovah, Yahweh. It's the name Yahweh. Jehovah isn't the correct. That's a transliteration. Don't have time to get into that. But Yahweh, yud heh vav four letters. We don't even know how to pronounce it. But so whatever that name is, Yahweh, was this covenant name of intimacy by which God revealed himself to Abraham. Of all people on the earth, only Abraham had a special, intimate, personal covenant revelation of God, the creator of heaven and earth, the triune God. He knew God as Yahweh. Now, in Genesis 14, we run into a story. Abraham has just fought a battle. He's just destroyed some enemies. He delivered his nephew Lot, and he's in the valley of Shaba, and two guys approach him, the king of Sodom and Melchizedek. Well, that's a funny name. A name for your new twin. What's Melchizedek? What does it mean? It means the king of righteousness. Who is he? We don't know. He pops up. He's called the king of Salem. He comes out of nowhere, and he comes and he brings a blessing to Abraham. Abraham tithes 10% of all he just won in the battle, and he gives it to Melchizedek. He honors Melchizedek as his superior. This is Abraham, the man who knows Yahweh by personal name. Here comes Melchizedek. Who is he? He's called the king of righteousness. We don't know who he is, but we know he's a Canaanite. He's not Jewish. And he calls God El Elyon. He's a Canaanite who addresses God by the high Canaanite name for God. Now, wait a minute. And there's the king of Sodom. Now, the king of Sodom represents idolatry, darkness, perversion, destruction, error, false religion, and, and the king of Sodom comes to Abraham, and Abraham has to have discernment in the valley of Sheba. <laughs> because here's one Canaanite, Melchizedek. Here's another one, the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom says, hey, buddy, 
thanks so much for helping us out. I'll tell you what, you keep all the money, and we'll just take our relatives. Thanks for fighting the battle for us. And uh, here, 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 take some money. And Abraham says to the king of Sodom, I will not touch a dime of your money. I will not accept any gift from you. I resent and reject everything you represent, king of Sodom. I will not yield to your gift. You take your money and go. He rejects the king of Sodom, and he accepts Melchizedek. Melchizedek comes and brings bread and wine, brings him for some refreshment, and Abraham bows down before Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is a priest, king, blesses Abraham. Now, let me tell you something in the Bible. Who blesses someone? The superior or the inferior? The superior. Now, here's Melchizedek. He's a Canaanite too. He calls God El Elyon, the top of the heap God. Now, you'd think right now most Christians, of course, they'd reject the king of Sodom. Amen. But they'd also reject Melchizedek, right? Because he calls God El Elyon. Excuse me, we have to have a theological debate. Number one, God's name is Yahweh. Number two, I'm his redeemed man, and I'm sort of going to be heading the corporate redemptive race that's going to produce the Messiah. Too much for you to understand, Canaanite. So, first of all, quit using that nasty name for God, LL Yon. Second of all, you get on your knees because I'm going to bless you because I know God intimately, and I'm his redemptive man. Does that happen? No. Abraham pays a tithe of reverence to Melchizedek. He honors Melchizedek. And it literally, Hebrews chapter 7 says, Levi, the, the priesthood of Levi was in his loins as he bowed down. So the whole Levitical priesthood bows down to this man, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. Who is he? The book of Hebrews, later, says he was at without beginning or end of days. And that Christ our Savior is a priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Jesus, our Lord, was from the tribe of Judah. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He couldn't have been a conventional priest. So Christ is named a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Christ, the Messiah of all peoples, is going to be known as the priest of general revelation. Now, let me introduce you to the Melchizedek factor. What, what are we talking about? Who are Melchizedek people? Let me mention one. Caleb. Did you know I mentioned last week Caleb wasn't Jewish? He was a slave from Egypt. He was adopted into Judah by faith. Did you know the Bible's full of outsiders, outliers? Do you remember Rahab the harlot? Who, she was accepted by faith. Look at the genealogy of Jesus. We have who else? Ruth, right, the Moabitess. She was from Moab. She wasn't supposed to serve God. She was, uh, she was one of those outsiders. She's a Melchizedek lady. Rahab, the harlot, she was a Melchizedek woman. Hmm. Tamar, the Canaanite, hmm, who's in the line of Jesus, our Messiah, was a Canaanite woman. She's a Melchizedek lady. Who's a Melchizedek lady? Outsiders that aren't a part of the inner group, who nonetheless by faith are allowed access. Did you know <laughs> Jesus our Lord? This is my favorite text, Luke 9, 49 and 50. Master John said, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you 
is for you. Can you imagine the disciples? Bless us for and no more, the holy huddle. They meet some guy God was using because God can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. Someone say amen. And God's striking straight blows with crooked sticks like he does with you all week. And the, and the holy huddle came along and said, oh, he's not in our group. He's not from our seminary. He's not from our denomination, Lord. So we forbade him. Jesus said, why did you do that? I got sheep from another fold you don't know anything about. So in the Bible, we see general revelation, the Melchizedek factor, special revelation, the Abraham factor. That's the Bible. And then we have the corruption of both, the Sodom factor. All of our lives, all of the Bible converges around these three realities. In every act of God in the world, you've got, who are some Melchizedek people? Can you think of any other folks in the Bible? Like Ruth, we mentioned Ruth, right? Remember the Syrophoenician woman, <laughs> the Canaanite woman, came and said, Jesus, heal my daughter. She wasn't, she wasn't Jewish. She got her healing. The woman with the issue of blood. Now, she was Jewish, though. The centurion, what about the Roman centurion? There was a Roman guy that came, and Jesus, he said, look, Jesus, come heal my guy, but I don't need you to come to my house because I'm a man under authority. Just say the word. When I say a word, they do it or die, so I trust your authority. And Jesus marveled, and he said, I've not seen so much faith even in Israel with my people, the holy huddle, the frozen chosen, the Abrahamic folk. <laughs> Do you remember Jesus is uh, preaching in Nazareth, remember? And they just didn't like what he was saying. You know, they didn't like it when Jesus talked to Gentiles. Remember in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, remember her? The woman from Samaria? Oh, Jesus broke every taboo in the book. First, you're not to talk to a non-Jew. He did. You're never to be alone with a woman. He was. You're never to touch or share a drinking vessel with a Samaritan. He did. He broke every, he didn't break scripture. He broke every taboo made up by religious times. Because he's trying to show his disciples, I am the savior of all nations, of all the Gentiles, of all the people. Remember Abraham's call, Genesis 12, through you all the nations, the goyim, all of them. What was God's goal? centripetal or centrifugal? When God in Genesis 12 said to Abraham, buddy, 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 this isn't bless us for and no more, the holy huddle. I'm calling you to go out into all the world and be a light to the nations, the goyim, the ones that you won't drink with, touch, spend time. Do, do, do you remember Jesus gets him upset in his little sermon? He says, do, do you remember? Do you remember when there were lepers in Israel? God didn't heal anybody but Naaman the Syrian, that Gentile. Oh, he's a Melchizedek man. And remember when the, all the water, there's a drought everywhere? Where did God send the prophet? He sent to the widow of Sarepta, a Canaanite woman, and her little son to provide for them. He said, there are a lot of widows in Israel during the drought, but you just don't like it when God blesses the Gentiles, do you? And they didn't. Hmm. Do you remember when Jesus healed the withered hand? They were concerned. They were concerned that he healed on the Sabbath, yet they wanted to kill him on the Sabbath. 
Whenever the Lord showed that he was the Savior of all mankind, all the religious folk got nervous. The Melchizedek factor is that of general revelation. All the people. Do you remember? Who was the first Christian? Do you remember the first guy to convert? He was a eunuch. Oh, remember Jesus said, back in the days of Solomon, the queen of Sheba walked 1,200 miles to come and hear wisdom. And she's a pagan. But I blessed her. And he says to his hometown, you've seen more miracles that if she saw in her day, they would have repented in dust and ashes. He's rebuking the unbelief of the frozen chosen, the holy huddle, by saying, I am a God who is here to save the world. Every people. Did you know in the book of Revelation, read the back of the book, there are people in heaven from every kindred, every nation, every tongue, every people, 100% of anyone that's ever lived has been affected by general revelation. But it gives you just enough light to see God as moral, yet not how in your own strength to meet his moral demands. So God is the God of general revelation. Praise God. He is, that's the Melchizedek factor. He's the God of special revelation. Holy Scriptures, 66 books we call the Bible. And that is the unique story of redemption in the world. It happened in a backward area of the world to a 5% localized group of folk. And then there's the darkness that tries to extinguish both general and special revelation. Do you get the picture? Let me read you some text. Just hold on. I'm doing a foundational work here. So on my left hand, I'm building a foundation. Then we're going to jump over to Caleb. We will get to Caleb. Because you're going to see Caleb at Hebron. Hebron is the home place. Hebron is the dream that he dreamed for half of his life that was now going to become a present reality to him. Beloved, some of you have dreamed dreams half of your lifetime that have never become present realities. Get ready, get ready, get ready. Every dream that God has promised you is soon to become a present reality, and it's just going to jump you, and God is going to take you over and hijack you with the fulfillment of all of your dreams. Someone say amen right there. Caleb is 85 when he reaches Hebron. Caleb, 40 years has been wandering. That's 480 months. It's 14,400 days. That's 350,400 hours. When God first showed him Hebron, first showed him his home, half a lifetime ago, Caleb was out spying the land. A 400 and 860-mile journey. And when he was out spying, he saw something and he fell in love with it. And for the next 40 years, it was his last thought at night and his first thought in the morning. Oh, Caleb was in the wilderness, but he wasn't of the wilderness. He was dreaming of Hebron, home. Dreaming of the moment when what he saw all those years ago 
when his feet that stood in Eshkol, his feet that stood and he saw the, the, the pomegranates as big as basketballs, he saw and touched the fruit, the, the one cluster of grapes it took two men to carry. And Caleb said, this is my home. This is where I'm going to build my mansion and nothing is going to keep me from it. But it was 40 years before his feet would touch home. I remember I saw a picture of a little house a woman had built. It was her little thatched hut. And outside it just said, my own. My own. Some of you have been waiting all of your life for your own. Hold on. Caleb's 85. Are you 85? Is there anyone 85 here today? Anyone watching? If you're 85, please contact us. Because that's a, as soon as the promise will drop dead right there at 85 and 30 seconds. So if you're not 85, I don't want to hear the unbelief that's been targeting your brain. Yeah, I know those are old tapes, but you got to replace those. Who's Caleb? He's a Melchizedek man. He doesn't belong. He wasn't born into the proper, he wasn't born racially into the stock of the people of God. He's a rag, you know what his name means? Dog. <laughs> He's a loyal, faithful, committed dog. But you know what's said of this dog? It says six times, he gave himself wholly unto the Lord. This Melchizedek man that starts with general revelation, starry heavens above, moral law within, by faith joins himself, is accepted into the tribe of Judah, and he is picked as the spy to go on that 860-mile journey to spy out the land. I guess God likes his little Melchizedek men and girls. Lord, he followed not with us. Oh, yeah, he's casting out more devils than we ever have, but it just can't be. So look at, look at Abraham. Let's go back to the Valley of Sheba. He's got to be discerning, right? He's got two Canaanites in front of him, King of Sodom and the King Melchizedek. He completely rebukes the King of Sodom, who represents darkness, corruption, and everything the enemy is trying to do to destroy both general and special revelation. And by the way, you are in a battle. And by the way, the devil isn't just an abstract principle that people have named over the years. And it's just a basic principle of negativity. No, 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 no. The devil's as real as Jesus is. Evidently, the Son of God thinks he's real because he said, I was there when I saw him fall. The devil loves it when people don't believe in him. Whew, makes his job earlier. Welcome to California. <laughs> Listen to the Gospel of John. Let me read a text. In John chapter 1, verse 4 says, In him Christ was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Listen. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So look at, we have light and darkness, right? And we have a darkness, not just the absence of light. This is an act of darkness trying to destroy the light. So we have light and darkness, right? Light just represents revelation. doesn't tell us whether it's general or special. There's light and there's darkness, right? But the darkness can't comprehend it. Praise be to God. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone, that's general revelation, the Melchizedek factor. 
was coming into the world. Special revelation. Ooh. There's darkness. There's the light of general revelation that's applicable, that's available to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Starry heavens above, more love with it. And then he, <laughs> the word made flesh, the one who lights every man, actually steps in. That's special revelation. Ooh, it's all there. There's the Melchizedek factor, general revelation, the light that lights all men. There's special revelation, the Abraham factor. That's, spe- that's the Bible. That's, that's redemption. That's Jesus ultimately is the living word of God. The Bible is just a finger pointing to him, right? The 39 books of the Old Testament are fingers pointing to him, and the 27 books of the New Testament are fingers pointing back, explaining who he is. But he stepped in. The word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Oh, my God. See, it's all there. Darkness, general revelation, light. Special revelation light. So do you think God's at work in the world at every level, reaching every kindred, tongue, nation, and people at all times? Thank you. Now the problem is we need to be discerning. Most Christians just see the king of Sodom. Everything that isn't Jesus Christ is the devil. Every religion, everything is wicked. It's all we've got to refute the universe. Boy, it's really exhausting thinking you've got to refute everybody else but you. That's rough. I got to answer every religion. I got to answer every evolution. I got to answer every atheist. I got to, I got to, I got to. Really? Well, whoopee you. You you evidently have a high opinion of yourself. We got to avoid the ditch of the king of Sodom. We don't want impurity, right? We don't want corruption. But we we, we don't want to reject Melchizedek because he represents general revelation. So we have to have discernment like Abraham in our time. You have to have the sense of an old cow to eat the hay and spit out the sticks, to eat the fish and spit out the bones. Why, it's all the devil. Run into your chicken coop with your Bible. No, it isn't all the devil. C.S. Lewis put it brilliantly. He said, there are truths in every religion, but the only complete truth is Christianity. Christ is in flesh, the fulfillment of every archetype, every image. Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, anybody, all of those stories are pointing archetypically to who? One. One who rules the one ring that rules them all. Aslan. Hmm. He's the Messiah of all peoples. Now, there is, there is the principle of Zodom, Sodom. Now, we can use the other code words, Egypt, Babylon. No, there's a bunch of them, right? Cain, the way of Cain, the way of Balaam. There were little code words in the Bible that meant nasty, poopy, yucky devil. Okay? That's the perversion of truth. So we have general revelation, the Melchizedek principle, special revelation, the Abraham principle, and we have the Sodom principle, the Sodom principle. That's the corruption of both, the attempt to destroy both. And the God of this world is always trying to blind the minds of those who are unbelievers so that they wouldn't see. You're in a war. The devil's real, and this battle is real. So welcome to your life. This is how it is. God is honest in his word. He says, look, I'm sorry it's not like, you didn't ask to be here, but you're here. Welcome to my world. 
But I want you to see the three forces in redemptive history, general revelation, special revelation, and the corruption of both leads us today to distinguishing between Abraham, special revelation, Sodom, the corruption, and Melchizedek, general revelation. We need to make discerning choices that are godly. Did you know that? We need to eat the hay and spit out the sticks. If I could tell you one thing in my whole life, next to the Bible, that'll keep you. Because you as a Christian are not supposed to be some imperialistic, anal individual who thinks they know everything. Look, truth is absolute, but your understanding of the truth is never going to be absolute. Sorry. So we need a little humility. A friend of mine recently told me her father became a Christian and he used to read the Bible on his knees. That posture of humility is perfect for opening the bread of life, because it shows that you have some humility and that you have more, you have the discernment of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you can come to Samaria where no Jew would go and you can see all the ups and downs of it and you could see their false religion and you could see their sexual perversion, but the Lord Jesus Christ also saw a lamb for whom he died and he walked right up to her and he presented life itself. Now he had to send the disciples away to buy lunch because they would have screwed up the whole thing. She's a Samaritan woman. You can't talk to her. Ah, that's Sodom in the church. Whoa, we're losing everything. Please go buy lunch. Has he ever had to send you away to buy lunch? God help me. Don't even, don't even look at me. I'm looking at some of you. Where are you going? I'm on vacation, right? Yeah, you're on vacation. God has to send you out so he could come in. It's all Sodom. Ah! Everything is Sodom. The collective literature of the universe that God himself has superintended. My God in heaven. He's in it all. He's God all by himself. And if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, he can open our eyes. We as Christians should be the most generous people in the world. Am I saying universalism? There is no absolute truth? No. I'm saying Christianity is the only complete truth, and in Christ all things converge. Absolutely no question. But I am saying the Holy Spirit has many ways of drawing people to Jesus. I had a friend that sojourned in the Mormon church for a period of time because he was a complete atheist and that he had some interest in religion and he went through Mormonism for a while, piqued his interest in certain areas, but it wasn't ultimately fulfilling. And after that experience, he was presented with the gospel of Jesus and he yielded his life. Did you know St. Augustine was a Manichaean for a period of time? He believed in some wacky, weird Gnostic cult, but the Lord used that to awaken his tingling interest in spiritual things because his issue was sexual issues. He couldn't leave his mistress alone. This guy said, I, 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 I'm a lust puppet is all I am. Read City of God. Read Confessions. He'll tell you all about his lust problem. You think you're the only one with a lust problem. Lust problem? What are you talking about? You know, Augustine says, man, that's all I did all day. Every day was grab anything I could. <laughs> Read the Confessions. It'll, it'll encourage you. God uses every means at his disposal to lead you to Christ. 
the King and the Lord and the Messiah of all nations. Now, okay, okay. Craig, is this a seminary lecture? I've laid a threefold foundation. Why? Because now we're going to go to Caleb at Hebron. Because at Hebron, what's happened? Mo- Moses is dead. They've crossed over. They've been fighting for five years against the inhabitants of the land, which they're driving out. Joshua 14, 6, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh and the Kenizzites said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance. And that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Was he sinless? Was he gifted? Was he talented? No. He was just available. The only ability God needs is availability. You can do that, right? You can be a broken, crooked stick that only God can strike a straight blow with. Hold on, Caleb. He's a Melchizedek man. You're a Melchizedek boy. You're a Melchizedek girl. Let God do all the heavy lifting. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Oh, God. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Why does he keep saying who he is? Because he's a Melchizedek man. He doesn't fit there, but by faith. He's a man of general revelation. God said, come in, honey. You astound me above all my people. You shock me with your faith. I've not seen anything like this among my covenant people. Caleb, and the devil's telling you you're nothing. You're nobody. And church folk are telling you you're nothing. You're out of line. What's the matter with you? Why You come through conventional means. You didn't go to our seminary. You don't hold to our denomination. Of all who have died, 100 funerals a day for 38 years, there's only Moses, Joshua, and Caleb alive. Now Moses is dead. There's only Joshua and Caleb. And of the both of them, Caleb fights for five years in the land. And guess what? They initially took Hebron. By the way, Hebron is where all the giants live. Demon-possessed giants 
hold Hebron as their home. Did you remember when Jesus talked about when you cast an evil spirit out of somebody and you empty the house of an evil spirit? You better fill that house up with the Holy Ghost because if you leave that house empty, that devil comes back with seven worse than itself and says, this is my home. This is my house. Demons love to try to claim holy things as theirs. They're squatters. There's a squatting spirit I'm addressing today. And the Lord is going to displace all the squatters that have been on the holy people of God, the holy things of God, the holy ground of God. Demons love holy ground because they think if they can just defile it and poop on it and have sex on it that they can somehow defame or stop or hinder or pervert the work of the Lord. But the Lord says, I am removing all the squatters from my land, from my children, they're mine. There is a work of deliverance being released today in this world. You just see it's in tandem with what God is doing all over the earth right now. There's a rising water of deliverance, just like the waters of destruction that raised the ark of Noah to its destiny. There are waters rising, and there are waters that are displacing all the devil squatters from your family line, your finances, your ministries, everything. And why do I mention this? Because Sodom is being displaced. The devil is being run out. And Caleb didn't have to do anything. He just walked on the land, and it says, all the devils left. Let me read the next chapter, Joshua 15, 13. In accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, a portion in Judah, Kiriat Arba. What? That, what's that name? That's the name of the primary devil-possessed man that was lord of that area. Demons love to squat on God's territory. Do you know what Jerusalem was? Jebus, the Canaanite city. Do you know where the temple was built? The threshing floor of Jebus? That's where all the Canaanites had sex 24 hours a day in their hookups, their trysts and worship their demons. That's the ground, God says. That's my holy ground. And I'm going to drive the Jebusites out in a day. The Bible says David took Zion in a day. And he went up to the threshold, the threshing floor of Aruna. And David said, give me this. And the guy said, no, you can have it. He goes, no, 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 I will not give. I will not take something that didn't cost me something in my worship of God. He said, here's full price. Give me that threshing floor. What was the threshing floor? The trysting place of worship of idols. That's where the Canaanites were all the time, day and night. Do you remember in Chronicles of Narnia, the movie? Remember the first one where Aslan is dead and they're all dancing around and having a party and just sort of living it up? That's what the devil loves to do on holy ground, on holy things, and around holy people. Do you remember in the book of Daniel? Remember when that big shot thought, hey, let's have a party. Bring out all the vessels from the temple and let's get drunk tonight and drink out of the holy vessels. And what did God do? <laughs> he lets it happen for a long time. But then writing came on the walls. Take out, take out, you Pharisee. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And this night, your kingdom is removed from you. Belshazzar drops dead. The devil may have temporary possession of holy things, but God will drive all squatters out. And that's what the anointing of the Holy Spirit is here to do today. And moving forward in May, in June, it's May now. Whenever you hear this, the waters are rising. Just 
lick your finger, test the air. You'll see it. People are going to start getting deliverance. Christians that you pray over are going to start <coughs> coughing up something. You know what? If it's in, get it out. If it's on, get it off. Don't, don't, don't get theological about it. Someone asked my mentor, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery, can a Christian have a devil? And Dr. Montgomery said, a Christian can have anything he wants. <laughs> if it's in, get it out. If it's on, get it off. When God's presence increases, the first manifestation that you see is evil spirits screaming out. Look at Acts chapter 8. Look at Philip in Samaria. Look at the ministry of Jesus. Always. Always. Do you know what they were more impressed with than miracles they'd been done? Raised from the dead? Eh, that was done. Having authority over demons? Whoa. That was the thing about Jesus' ministry. Remember the disciples? They said, even the demons are obeying us. This is insane. And Jesus said, well, I know that's nice, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. You know, he tried to calm them down a bit. It was the deliverance quality of the ministry of Jesus. And by the way, are we talking about grabbing bags now and throwing up and starting a whole new charismatic movement that we can discredit in six months? No. It's just the rising of the sun necessary, S silently, without fanfare, that will melt every ice castle Satan has built in your life the last 50 years. Just the rising sun. You don't need to say, castles on ice, we address you, you're going to melt, you're going to break. I, I don't have the strength for that. You can go do that with your group. Just let the sun rise. It'll just happen. And you know, everything that's frozen in those ice walls, every bit of trauma that you froze and you've been in denial about and all the beach balls you've been pushing down out of the ice, they're going to start popping up, honey. That's called deliverance. It's okay. You can handle it now. You couldn't all these years. God knows exactly when the right time is to melt the ice that's going to release that thing that you've been re-icing 24 hours a day all the time. Nobody knows about. Bring in more ice. Remember in the Chronicles of Narnia when the white witch, all of a sudden, the ice starts melting and nobody can, like, fake it and there's mud and her sleigh won't work? That's what's happening. And her little compatriot goes, oh, and then she looks at him and goes, oh, no, everything's fine. <laughs> the ice is melting. Aslan is breathing on what's frozen in ice, and it's starting, and that's what we call deliverance. It, you won't have to, like, do anything. You just have to be aware of what to call it, right? If you need to cry, cry. If you need to scream, scream. If you need to poop, poop. If you need to vomit, vomit. We'll all stand with you, and we'll clean you up. I'm used to that, so I'm a good pastor, for deliverance, because <laughs> I clean pee and poop with Michael all the time. There's nothing I have seen this week that you could eclipse. <laughs> Do you see it, Hebron? Caleb is there. It's the home that he saw 40, or half a lifetime ago. It still has all the giants on it that were there 45 years ago. Remember the giants that the 10 other spies brought the majority report and said, there are giants. They're still there. All of them. Did you know nobody can have what's yours? If it's your ministry to take Hebron, there's no young Rufus Glitter Teeth that's going to rise up 20 years in advance and take Hebron down. Hebron stayed possessed by the will of God until Caleb came around. 
Well, wouldn't God <laughs> want every demon out of Hebron? No, not yet. It's fulfilling a purpose. Wait till my boy puts his feet back on, on Hebron's ground. And as soon as he steps on the ground, there's this transaction. There's this shift that hits immediately. And guess what? All the squatters run off in one day. The text seems to infer in chapter 11 of Joshua that they took it once, and then when they left, the giants came back. Did you know the devil's persistent? If anything, give him that. He's persistent. He will hit one brick a thousand times. He will. He will call you ugly, stupid, dumb, and your mom addresses you funny your whole life, 24 hours a day, until you break his finger. All demons understand is authority. If you don't make them leave, they don't have to. So if you just want something to stand there and just go, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're dumb, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're shut up. There's got to be a point where you hit that point <laughs> or it's just going to keep going, right? I just don't understand why my life is a wreck. We need to now realize God is empowering us to stand up against things we've had no power against, but now's a new day. Yeah, you couldn't before, but now try it again. Remember Peter caught no fish all night. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. Now is the time. I watched the scene in The Chosen the other day. I showed to Dennis where Jesus meets Peter at the boat, preaches on his boat, and then he says to Peter, I've got to transact some business with you. And Peter goes, so what are you going to put, fish in my net? And Jesus goes, hmm? <laughs> and all the fish start filling the net, and everything starts sinking catastrophically and all the boats start running at their life to get there to help pull this out of the water. Jesus did a miracle right on Peter's turf that only he could fully value and understand and boy does he. He weeps and says depart from me for I am a sinful man. And Jesus said don't be upset from henceforth you will catch men. It's going to be okay. I know it didn't work before. But this is a new day. Joshua 15, 13, in accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion, Kiriat Abba, that is Hebron. Arba was the forefather of Anak. From Hebron, Caleb drove out the three Anakites, uh-oh, Shishai, Aheman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. Oh, little thing, they've been living there all this time having complete demonic control over a piece of earth nobody can break off. And Caleb just comes in at the right time, the right man with the right foot on the right ground, and just goes, oh, <laughs> I'm here. And they run. And they evacuate. And all the squatters are removed in a moment. And they didn't come back. And it says Caleb not only took possession, he dispossessed them, but he took possession of the land and he built his house there and his kids moved in and the rest of his family line reigns out of Hebron. And guess who comes to Hebron later? David starts ruling and reigning seven and a half years in Hebron. Hebron's holy ground. We'll talk about that a little more in the future. Beloved, are you encouraged do you see, we live in a time where we have to be discerning. 
God is breaking the darkness. He is the God of the Melchizedek factor, general revelation. He is the God of the Abraham factor, special revelation. And he also is the Lord over the Sodomite factor. And he is going to displace the work of the enemy. Whether you call it Babylon, whether you call it Balaam, whether you call it Cain, whether you call it the way, it's the darkness that seeks to pervert the truth. Now, as Christians, we are to be like Abraham in the valley of Shabbat. We need to discern. We reject the king of Sodom. We don't accept anything in Jesus' name that comes from him. We accept Melchizedek and the general revelation God brings. to. We accept the blessing of Melchizedek. We honor God at work in the world. We join with him in cooperation. Do you know... <laughs> In mission societies throughout the world, missionaries are sent to locations where no one's supposed to know the gospel, and they're waiting. They're waiting with the knowledge of the Most High God. They're waiting with an understanding that he will send his book. And they're waiting for the God who comes out of the ground. And the missionaries come and they go, oh, I can find a point of contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, God has been preparing the world for the gospel and the gospel for the world. Do you have a few more minutes? Can you hold on for a few more minutes? Is this too much? You're drinking from a fire hose? It's all right. In Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul shows up at Athens. And there are more gods in Athens. They said it was easier to find a god than a person. So you read Acts chapter 17. Paul comes to Athens, right? This is the center of idolatry in the ancient world, and it says he beheld all the idols, and it says his spirit was grieved. So do we see Paul, he's rejecting the Sodom factor, right? Do you see him grieved by darkness? But did you notice he could discern between an idol and an altar? Because while he was at Mars Hill with the philosophers, the Epicureans and the Stoics, he needed a point of contact to start his sermon, and guess what? He found an altar out of the thousands that said Agnostotheo to the unknown God. And Paul went, ah, that's my sermon point. What was that altar to the unknown God? Sixth century B.C., a plague hit Athens. Everybody was dying. No one knew what to do. They didn't know what God they'd offended. So they hire a consultant, a guy named Epimenides. He comes from Cyprus. And Epimenides says, look, I'm going to assume that there is a God that you've offended but you don't know, but I'm going to assume that he's big enough and loving enough to want to deliver you. And I'll tell you what you do. He said, get a bunch of sheep, and I want you to just hold them up all night where they're starving to death. Then I want you to let them out in the morning, and when their instinct is going to be to go and graze, I want you to look and watch for any of those sheep that is going to lay down, which is as rare as hen's teeth. Right? They've been locked up all night. They're starving to death. They're released into a lush field. And all of a sudden, in the distance, one of those sheep lies down, contrary to nature. And over here, another one lays down. And he said, now go to those sites where those sheep lay down and build an altar called Agnostotheo to the unknown God. And we repent and we humble ourselves before him, the God of general revelation, the God of Melchizedek. He makes that the starting point of his proclamation of the gospel in Athens. And he says, God has been preparing the world for the gospel and the gospel for the world. And I, Paul, declare unto you this God that you have been worshiping in ignorance, 
who raised his son from the dead, and he brings the gospel of Jesus Christ to this place, the Areopagus. Paul discerned between an idol and an altar. Can you? Or are you going to be a stupid Christian that thinks everything's Sodom? It's all the devil! Run! Ah, all the music! Ah, it's the devil! Ah, all art from the Renaissance! Ah, you back-ass fool. Why do you think the world is rejecting the church? Because you're not that, hopefully, but there are too many Westboro Baptist churches out there that hate everything, everything that God made. Now, you remember a message I did a few, uh, about a year ago, and I introduced a new word to you that you'd never heard before? You remember? It was called Gallimaufry. Remember that teaching? Oh, Craig, it's one of my favorites. Remember Gallimaufry? Gallimaufry was a word that I introduced you to, and it was a word that meant a stew, a hodgepodge, a collage. Uh, a Gallimaufry is sort of, you know, at the end of the week in Iowa when we'd had meals all week, we threw everything together in a pot on Sunday. That was a Gallimaufry. You say, Craig, yes, I've heard that name. No, you never have. What's a Gallimaufry? A Gallimaufry is a word that speaks of God using Melchizedek people, mixture, people that don't quite fit. Let me give you an example. In 1 Kings 7, 13 and 14, it says, King Solomon sent to Tyre and brought Hiram, whose mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, whose father was from Tyre and a skilled craftsman in bronze. Hiram was filled with wisdom, with understanding, and with knowledge to do all kinds of bronze work. He came to King Solomon and did all the work assigned to him. Uh, do you know who built the $1 trillion temple of Solomon? A Gallimaufry, a Melchizedek man. Was he a Jew? No. God help. God's usually got to bring the damned in to do the piping because you can't trust Christians. You can't. You can't trust religious people. Are you kidding? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. No, could you just do the job I hired you to do? Okay. Come on now. Don't, just don't be that. Don't act like I'm offending God. I may be offending you. The Lord knows his own. And God had to have the temple done right, so guess what he did? He brought a guy that was from Tyre, the epicenter of idolatry in the ancient world. His father is a Syrian worshiping Melkart, the false goddess. His mom is a widow from the tribe of Naphtali. Thank God she sanctified the whole group. But he didn't know the Lord, and God brings him. That whole family had been friendly with David. God brings the Gallimaufries in. What are Gallimaufries? The hodgepodges, the collages, the stew, the muddle, the mixed bag, the jumble, the mishmash, the montage, the potpourri, the patchwork, the Melchizedek folk. He built the temple of Solomon. Now, the tabernacle was built by Holy Ghost anointed people. Okay? The temple? <clears throat> we need Hiram. We need to do this thing right. So I'm going to show the whole world that I'm the God of the Jews Special revelation, the Abrahamic covenant. And I'm the God of Melchizedek, the God of general revelation. And did you know the over 100,000 workers that built the Temple of Solomon in the quarries, seven years it rose in absolute silence? They weren't believers. Oh, no. Don't Oh, no. Don't shake Hiram's hand. I'm sorry in good conscience. I can't shake your hand, Hiram. I'm a believer. So sorry. I'm holy. Yeah. 
Well, how come God's letting me build the temple? Uh, I just can't, I don't feel comfortable. So all these people, 200,000 of them, they're not believers. I'll never go in that temple. Religious spirit, come out, you filthy thing. That's not holiness. That's a religious spirit that crucified Jesus Christ. You shouldn't heal on the Sabbath, but we'll kill you right now. You, oh, 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 there it is, your slip showing. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus, son of God? Uh, oops, you've been in church for how many years? Oh, see, the anointing's increasing now, love. You're going to start seeing that in the church. Church men, church women, folk that look all nice. But when that glory gets thick, <laughs> first thing to happen is, well, we know who thou art. You know what the pastor said? We know who thou art, the Holy One of God. Has thou come to torment us before the time? It's like, well, it didn't surface before, but it was there. Come on, have you ever seen a work of darkness in somebody's life, but they're hiding it, they're able to hide it, they're able to keep it down, hold the beach ball down? But you know and I know in person that if the glory came in the room right then, every single thing would pop out. You know, remember in Lord of the Rings, when Bilbo Baggins for a hundred years has not seen the ring, and he goes, can I see the ring? And the ring comes out, and he goes, <laughs> that demon. Oh, uh, I saw that the other day, because I always want to remind myself that even when I'm a hundred, that's still in me. Remember? remember? Remember Gandalf didn't want the ring. Remember Galadriel? God bless Galadriel. Remember that? She, she knew she didn't want the ring because the ring reveals what's really in you. And you're not called to bear certain things. All right, someone say amen or I'm going to stop. All right, listen. Hiram was a Gallimaufry, built the temple. Do you remember when Jacob went, it says, he, he went to Bethel and happened upon the holy and he took a stone and he laid down and he had a dream that night of the vision of the staircase that came down from heaven. That was in a place called Luz, a Canaanite piece of ground. Oh, wait a minute. Can God do holy things on that holy ground? Yeah, God, the demons were swarming on that ground because they sensed there's something spiritual about it. We call it the Cal it's called a thin place. There are thin places. There are places where there's a real thin distance between heaven and earth, where we call spiritually sensitive places. I have a friend that lives in Malibu, and she has a garden. And I kid you not, I've never seen anything like it before. But when you walk into this, within 30 feet of this place on the ground, you fall down under the power of God. Have no idea. It's like being in church. church uh, the church on uh, Mount of Olives, uh, I also felt the same thing when I went in there. The one that's a church of all nations. You walk in the door, you can be talking, laughing, joking. The second you step in there, you're on holy ground. In, the vat, in uh, St. Peter's, there's a little cordoned off area where the nuns pray. And you go behind that, 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 that veil and you walk in there and my son Grant and I were knocked right down by the power of God. Uh, there are holy places that are destined to bear God's holy presence, but the devil loves to try to squat <coughs> on that location as long as he can. Guess what, though? Jacob got up, laid down on it, said, surely the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it. And he woke up the next morning, and he built an altar, and he set up and anointed with oil. God loves to flip the narrative. He's removing 
all squatters. Can you say amen? So if the squatting means, remember even the materials of the tabernacle? Where did Moses get all the gold and silver and everything to build the holy place? It came from Egypt. All those statues they brought out of Egypt. Don't, don't touch an Egyptian statue of Bast and Hecht, the frog god. Well, that's how God sent the gold and silver out of Egypt. Sorry. God said, I'll take it if you won't. <laughs> See, some Christians will not drink milk unless it's from a Christian cow. That isn't holiness. That's a religious spirit, which the Lord is, in, is attacking right now. The deliverance, people say, I'm going to be delivered from a lust demon. I'm going to be delivered from alcohol. I'm going to be, maybe, but most of it is going to be a religious spirit. God's pulling off you. That's what's going to come out in the vomit bag is going to be your church tradition, your religiosity, your opinions about everything. And you know what? They've gotten so high and mighty that you're strutting around like a peacock. And you don't even see the hat that's on you. Ever seen someone with a religious spirit? They're... I'm a have and you're a have not. I know it all, you don't. I'm in, you're out. Come out, you filthy devil, in the name of Jesus. You can name that all you want. It's a, it's a spirit. And most people think we're going to be delivered from an orgy spirit. No. It's probably 90% religious spirits that just got entrenched somewhere. You picked it up through osmosis, the brother of Moses. I don't know. When I was a young Christian, I watched 100 preachers a day, and boy, was I cursed for a while because of that, because each one refuted the other. And I heard things, I picked up stuff that wasn't true about God that I just it screwed up my God picture for years. I heard a preacher one time when I was just barely awake, like most of you. <laughs> and I'm watching TV, and it was late at night, and the preacher said, listen, he said, if you ever really yield your heart to God and open up fully, he's going to make you go to Mozambique, Africa, and be a missionary. My heart shut up just like a brass door from that moment on. Every time I was at a church service and I felt the Holy Spirit nudging me to go to the altar for an altar call to rededicate my life to the Lord, I wasn't going anywhere because if I ever fully, wholly give myself over, God's going to make me go to Mozambique, Africa and be a missionary. And there's sure no way in hell I'm ever going to do that. So that means I'm going to have to say no to God, in which case he's probably going to have to kill me. So for years I picked up that one false strand and it went into my heart, and it shut me down. And I wouldn't yield to the Holy Spirit. And I'm a sensitive guy to spiritual things. But every time I felt that Holy Ghost come on me, I'm thinking, oh, no, he's going to tell me to go to Mozambique, and then I'm going to have to say no. And then I'm going to, you know, he's going to make me marry a 600-pound woman that's 900 years old. Oh, I know. If you ever yield to God, <laughs> you're going to have to marry Sally. <laughs> and you're going <laughs> I'm so sorry, God, all three of you. I made it very clear what I was never going to do. All right, so go ahead and be God. But do you see the devil put that false, see that, that, that Sodom factor polluted my God picture. For a minute, the enemy got in. And he took that holy thing, my heart, and he made me believe a false thing about God. It took me years to pull that hook out of my heart saying, he's not going to make me go to Mozambique, Africa. I don't want to go to Mozambique. I don't feel called to go to Mozambique, Africa. I love to preach. Why doesn't he want me to preach? Do you see how uh, your God picture is the most important thing about you? 
And that's what I'm here for, to tweak that and adjust that and to, and to straighten out all this nonsense because deliverance is coming now from religious spirits. Hallelujah. Give him praise right now where you are. He's displacing all the squatters, all those ideas, thoughts, misconceptions that crept in. He's cleaning that out. He's giving you the discernment of Abraham and the valley of Shava to go, that's the devil, that's Melchizedek, that's God, and I'm going to be able to split hairs in the spirit and accept the full work of the kingdom in and through my life. And I'm available for any wholehearted work he wants to send me to. And when you go, it's as effortless as Caleb. You just walk in. You're the mineral and vitamin. Just how you are and how you look and how you walk and how you talk is the effortless sun rising that melts all of the enemy's ice castles. So you don't need to prepare to do something. We all sound like we're going to have a bowel movement. Lord, use me. Send me. Hold on. I'll be right back. Hold on. I'll be right back. Hold on. I'll be right back. That's how we pray. That people look into the church and they go, what, what are, are they, do they need? Uh, roughage? Uh, what? Because we make everything a work of the flesh that God says, no, 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 it's to be effortless. Remember, the priests could only wear linen because God didn't allow sweat in his work. He said, you will never sweat in my service. Don't you dare. It's to be effortless, Caleb. Just step on Hebron. Just step, let all the past promises become a present reality and put your foot home. You're coming home. Father, I thank you for each of your lambs right now. I declare in the name of Jesus that you are coming home. You are coming full circle. That promises given a life, half a lifetime ago that have never been present truth are becoming present in and through your life right now. Father, I thank you that what didn't work yesterday will work today. Uh, maybe we fished all night and caught nothing, but we'll throw the net on the other side of the boat, and this time you're going to overload the net with fruitfulness. I thank you that your people don't need to be ground down and worn out, Lord. You're going to raise the sun and melt all the things melted in ice. Lord, everything we've been hiding, everything we've been trying to keep uh, in the ice, thank you, Lord. Just melt the ice in Jesus' name and let it come out because it's not going to kill us and it's not going to tear your head off and it's not even going to even be measured. It's just going to be boop and you're going to go, was oh, that it? You've been bracing yourself to have your head ripped off, and God says, no, 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 I'm going to deliver you, and a little, just a little dollop is going to fall out. Father, thank you that you're the deliverer, and we welcome you, Jesus, the Messiah of all nations. Come into this house right now. Cleanse us spiritually, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, Lord. Come into our lives and, and, and displace all of the squatters, all the demons that have tried to sit on holy ground, holy things, holy gifts, holy abilities, and try to say, this is our house. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Come out in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you. Deliver us any way you choose, God, but bring deliverance to us in Jesus' name. Can you give, put your hands together and praise the Lord? Can you say, yes, Jesus, deliver me, God. Whatever it is, you don't even know what it is, deliver me because it's a season of deliverance. Mark it on your calendar. This day, what is it? May 29th. This is John F. Kennedy's birthday, by the way. May 29th, born in 1917. I always say, happy birthday, President Kennedy. 
happy birthday to you. You always assign historical meanings to certain dates because this date you need to circle. Because this is, this, this, this is a beginning of a deliverance move you're going to start seeing in your mommy and your daddy and your kids and your extended family and your neighbors. People aren't even going to know what it is. You know it's deliverance. It's Caleb. Notice, and then I'll shut up. At Hebron, there was the giants and the unbelief of the people, the Sodom factor. There was Joshua, the Abraham principle, and there was Caleb, the Melchizedek factor. All three converged that day in Joshua 14, the second Caleb stepped in Hebron. All that convergence, things you've been waiting for your whole life, they're coming to a convergence right now because the right people at the right time at the right place are going to come up. And you're just going to go, oh, my God. So what I'm asking you to do is just be willing to receive it. Just, just please act like you knew it was going to happen. Act like you're open for the Lord to bring remembrance. Act like, I mean, if you throw up all over the carpet, you can just say to the animals, hey, leave it alone. That, I know what that is. I needed to do that. <laughs> Don't just act like anything God wants to do, he can do. And by the way, I confront any false image of God that you may have had that says, if you ever yield completely, God's going to make you do something crazy. That's not the Lord. I rebuke that filthy spirit in the name of Jesus. He will never molest you. If you open your heart to him, he will never harm you. He will never molest you. He will never take advantage of you. He is not a man that he should lie. He is not a woman that he can manipulate, control, or Jezebel you. If you yield to him at the holy altar, you are safe. East, west, north, and south, you hold the horns of the altar. Nothing can touch you in that holy place with Jesus. And he is a high priest you can trust. He's the high priest of general revelation. He, his nail-scarred hands can trust. You can trust him. He can touch you on the head. He can deliver you, and he will never harm you, all right? So, yeah, you've been vulnerable before and got hurt, and then you, clo you closed it. Well, now you can open up to him, and he might bring one or two other people that you found you can trust, that you can sit and pray with and say, I need to let you in to some uh, uh, ice areas here and ask God to melt this. And you know what? It'll just be done. Oh, it's so much easier than you think. It's the withholding it that's holding it all in, you know? It's not facing it. When you face pain, it loses its authority over you. When you run to the roar, it loses its power, okay? Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that you are going to tie up all the loose ends of all of these truths and encourage your people that you're doing a new work in the world and a new work in their world. And we thank you, Lord, that what we fell in love with years ago, we're going to see become a present moment in our life now. Amen. God bless you. We love you. You go ahead and if you want to bless us, you can feed us. If we feed you, you feed us. Amen. You can easily support us online. I mention that because I'll tell you what, I made a vow years ago to the Lord. I said, if people feed here, they're going to get so fed, they're going to drink from a fire hose and want to quit. And then can listen to it again a second time and a third time because they're overwhelmed. That's what you're going to get here. You're not going to get a little aperitif and then a, and, a, and a biscuit with a little bit of half an olive on it, all right? Maybe too much, but if you're filled and if you're full and if you're fed, we need you to help us too. I've got to write a check for Hampton Inn today. So 
just go ahead and bless us, go on PayPal, send something. And you know what? There's no such thing as too little. So people say, oh, that's too little. I don't want to insult them. But, well, everybody that thinks that way, that's 100 people that didn't give because they all thought, well, that's somebody else. There was an old story of a guy that held a banquet for his daughter, and the admission to the banquet was the finest, a quart of the finest wine you had. And everybody filled the whole thing up, and at the end, they went to draw it out, and it was all water because everybody thought, well, they're all putting wine in. I'll just put water. <laughs> Stinking thinking <laughs> can remove the wine quality real quick. Amen? So if you're waiting for them and they're waiting for you and that's too small, there's no such thing as too small. We are grateful to God for what he's doing. And isn't it good to be fed in the house of the Lord? Praise the Lord. Put your hands together. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you and we praise you for healing and cleansing and delivering, Lord. Have your way in Jesus' name. God bless you. We hope today's message has been a blessing to you. And if it has please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.